Gets it off. Sutter is up with it there. Right around in front. Live. In the entertainment capital of the world. Leading goal scorer on the team. Drew one in front. It's the T.C. Martin Show. A tie game on the power play. Hodgson was at the front of the net. They are even. It's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor. A power play goal by the captain. T.C. Martin. It's brushed on back by Richard Bartram. Right up front. Younger fit inside of the net. Score! The doctor is now in. And a good Friday afternoon to you. T.C. Martin live at our Friday home. We are back. It is the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. On the Strip, no better place to be if it's food and beverage, if it's entertainment, of course, the sports book here at the Cosmopolitan. Fantastic. We are here starting this Friday all the way through the football and the basketball season. So it has been a while since we've been here. We are glad to be back. And, of course, I'm flanked by our good friend, the VP of Casino Operations, our hockey guru, our horse racing guru, the one and only Double B, Brian Benowitz. What is going on, my man? Man, it's been a fun summer uh, dealing with a lot of the uh, uh, the pandemic. It's happy to have you back here, and it's happy to have all these guests back here at the Cosmopolitan as we uh, kick off a nice Labor Day weekend. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And we got the Derby. I mean, out of nowhere, and we got three game sevens in the NHL, so that's a real exciting time. We've got a lot to do, a lot to talk about today. VGK Frank, Ballpark Frank, Frank Harnish in the house with us here today. Frank, welcome. There we go. And, and Frank's first time at the Cosmopolitan with us on the show. Now our regular. Frank, great to have you here. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I mean, this is an absolutely beautiful race and sports book they have here. Uh, TV screens everywhere. Great uh, scenery. You know, the people seem to be having a good time. So uh, the pandemic uh, may be slowing some things down, but uh, this is one hop, uh, happening, hopping spot right now. And, you know, I mean, what better than to uh, start off uh, Labor Day weekend with the Kentucky Derby, the second jewel of the Triple Crown. <laughs> yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into all that uh, today. Glad to have you with us here again each and every Friday. Of course, on the air live. Monday through Friday at 2 o'clock, usually in studio Monday through Thursdays. And then, of course, here back at the Cosmopolitan, our Friday home here in the sports book. So come on down and join us uh, each and every Friday. Quake is back in the studio, uh, pushing all the right buttons most of the time. I'm here. And uh, in the Numchuck here, uh, his first foray. Numchuck, outstanding job here, uh, by the way, as well, too. So the crew is here uh, at the Cosmopolitan on a Friday. All right, guys, let's start talking about what is going to be upon us here in the next uh, four hours or so. The Vegas Golden Knights, lo and behold, are getting ready for a Game 7. A week ago, I didn't think we would be saying we were going to have a Game 7 in this series against the Vancouver Canucks, but the Golden Knights had a 3-1 lead. I know, for one, I thought they would put things away, uh, you know, if not last night, earlier in the week, but uh, last night... Just a dreadful performance by the Golden Knights as they lose 4-0. And once again, Thatcher Demko getting his second career playoff start. He was phenomenal in game number five where he had 42 saves. And his second start last night, he has 48 saves. And uh, the Golden Knights have been peppering the goal, but it has been all Demko all the time in the last two games. And Brian, when you look at last night's game, give me your thoughts. Well, you know, I told you earlier when we chatted uh, last week or earlier this week that I thought it was going to be a long series. Um, and I think that that's the way it's played out. Uh, Vancouver has made uh, Vegas kind of chase them instead of uh, us playing our game. Uh, they've gotten off on, on an early lead. And, uh, of course, we had a lead in game five. Uh, it was only for like 20 seconds. And then uh, they, they took over and, and, and scored there. Um, I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights have played horribly in either game. I think that uh, they, a couple of goals, their, their, their two last goals were kind of these floaters that, that were, we would call them C&I pucks that hit the, the post and in. Um, the issue that, that, that it seems to me when I'm watching the game is uh, 
Vancouver has the ability, once they play with the lead, to really to kind of back in, and they just sweeping off any, any kind of rebound chances. So it's one and done for the Vegas Golden Knights when they take a shot. They've kept them a little to the outside. Uh, if there is a rebound, they sweep it up, and uh, otherwise there is no rebound. So uh, hats off to Vancouver for the way they've come out and played the last two games, and it's up to the Vegas Golden Knights. This is not unusual. Uh, it, it's a very hard thing to go win four, beat a very good team four times, and uh, they're going to have to earn it tonight. You know, Frank, we've been talking a lot about this during the course of, of the week, and, uh, you know, we've said that the Canucks have found life in games two, five, and they found it again in game six, and Demko has been fantastic. Uh, tell me, is this all Demko, or do you see something wrong, some chinks in the armor with the Knights? Well, I don't think it's all Demko. He certainly gets uh, the bulk of the credit here. I mean, who th who knew that Markstrom going down, their all-star goaltender, would be the best thing that could happen to the Vancouver Canucks? But that's exactly how it's been right now up to this point. And uh, Brian alluded to it here. Vegas has had opportunities. They had 48 shots on goal. It's not like they played a horrible game. But they haven't capitalized on opportunities. Uh when they have the rebounds, either Vancouver's getting there before them or they're shooting the puck higher wide. They've had open nets. Remember in that last game, in game five, when Marcia Scholl had the wide open net and he put it right into Demko's pads. It seems to me like Demko's in their head a little bit. They're trying to do stuff that maybe they're not comfortable with. They're rushing things a little or, or sometimes they're overpassing. And then they do get things. Stone had the breakaway last night and Demko just absolutely just stopped them point blank. He's in their head. He's playing incredibly well. But I'll tell you what, if I'm Vancouver, although they certainly have to feel like right now they're playing a little bit with house money, but at the end of that game, and I don't know if you guys saw the same thing I did, Demko dropped his stick like five times in the last ten minutes or so. He also kept on stretching out his leg. He almost looked like he was limping. He looked gassed in last night's game. In back-to-back -back games, I'm curious to see what he has left tonight because he was definitely tired last night after last night's game. I think Vegas needs to come out tonight, try to hit him early and often, get nasty in front of the net, maybe even get a, not, not that I'm advocating doing something dirty, but um, you know, get Get a little bit physical with him, even if you get a goaltender interference or something like that. Because at the end of last night's game, he kept on looking at the, up at the clock going, is this thing ever going to end? Yeah, he, he faced 48 shots that he had to make saves on. Uh, a great point because I was yelling at the TV, you got to hit the net, you got to hit the net, you got to hit the net. We missed the net numerous times, so there could have been 60 or 65 shots on goal. Um, Demko was definitely tired at the end of that game. Uh, I don't know if he was injured or not. But he was, he was gassed, and you could see the way he was performing. Although he made the saves, he wasn't quite as steady and as sure, whereas he was in the first couple of periods where he was really, uh, you know, squared up to the, to the shooter each and every time. Uh, he was flopping around a little more, and he did lose his stick quite a bit. So, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what they do. Uh, we'll find out later today. I've got to assume Demko's in there. Well, um, I mean, who's who's their other one? Domingue is is there? Is yeah, yeah. Louis Domingue is their backup right now. And the other thing, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think Demko's got to play tonight. But the other thing that you have to remember too is this is a guy that was playing in Boston College not that long ago. He's 24 years old. I don't know if he's ever played three games in four days like he's right. going to be doing in this stretch here. I know for a fact he's never played three consecutive elimination games in the Stanley Cup playoffs yeah. in four days. And how about five games in seven nights? Right. I mean, uh, this is this is intense. It's coming at you fast. And uh, to me, I, I think you'll see Flower tonight. That's why they've had this rotation that they've done. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Um, Leonard has not been overly busy uh, in the last few games. But, uh, you know, he said he's going to use both goalies and the way he's used them in the back-to-back. It seems like it's uh, Flowers' turn to, to go out there and, and win us the series. I mean, we'll dive into that here in just a moment. But, you know, back to the shots on goal. You know, shots on goal can be a very deceiving stat quite, quite a bit. But when you look at 43-17 to 17 in Game 5 and then again 48-23, to 23, the Golden Knights out shooting Vancouver in Game 6 last night, they've had their opportunity. And, yes, Demko was outstanding. But as we talked about, Game number 5, the, the Knights thoroughly seemed to outplay the Canucks. And even though they had 48 shots on goal last night, it didn't seem like that was the case. I mean, it was 4 nothing. They, they, they got behind, you know, 2 nothing. And once the Golden Knights got behind 2 nothing, it just seemed like 
you know, Vancouver just, you know, had the steam going, and, and this game was done at this point in time. Well, you've you got to understand, TC, when you, when you fall behind 2-0 in the third period, now you're going to have to shorten your bench. You're going to have to start jumping your defensemen a lot more in there, and it leads to some odd man breaks, which Leonard made a couple of really nice saves on a 2-on-0, I think a 2-on-1. So he made some good saves in there. Uh, the, you know, everybody's making a big deal out of uh, uh, Quinn Hughes' shot. I mean, it just kind of found the corner, which was nice. I mean, I don't think he would do that again in another next 100 shots that he takes there uh, over the over his uh, glove hand um, you know at the at the end um, you know he let in the three goals the last one was an empty net uh, the team cycled and cycled and cycled and cycled eventually you're gonna have to crash the net um, uh, ballpark Frank here made a great point about being aggressive the most aggressive play we had the entire time is when she, when our defenseman uh, Shay Theodore went hard to the net and it made him very uncomfortable and he ended up flopped on the ice and we couldn't quite get the rebound and go in there but we need to have more of that um we it was a little too cute in trying to find corners and and we missed and when you miss wide a lot of times that puck goes shooting out the other way and you got speed going back the other way and they don't even have to have a, a difficulty getting out of their zone you can't jump on the on the four check because they're already flying up the ice all right so the the topical point here obviously has been the Golden Knights in goal, and we've talked about it, fans have talked about it, and I know a lot of people like to just dismiss it, but the bottom line here is that Peter DeBoer has basically said that, hey, Leonard is, 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 our, is, our, goal, is our number one goalie, and, you know, the tweet came out from Marc-Andre Fleury's agent. Uh, Fleury responded back with that, said, hey, I wish you didn't put that out, but just added more fuel to the fire. But any time that you blow a 3-1 lead and now you find yourself in a game seven, you know, a lot of that is going to be on the goaltender. And so, Brian, you're thinking that, that Fleury is in goal tonight. I'm not necessarily sure. I, I don't think any of us have heard for certain who is going to be in goal tonight. But I, uh, I would just say the only reason why I said he would be a net is because mm -hmm. if you just follow the strategy, and we talked about it earlier mm -hmm. in the week, yeah. about a long series. You want to have two healthy guys fresh, ready to go. Um, you know, they talked about it late in this game yesterday when Vancouver got up 3 nothing. Now they can go roll their four lines and make sure they got more or less so they're mm -hmm. not forcing the people on the ice because they're playing 24 mm -hmm. hours later. But when it's do or die, it's game seven, you are going to go I with don't, your, I, I your don't, best goalie. I don't, who is it? I don't think there's – I think you got a 1-1A. One one they're totally different the way they play, and I think they're comfortable, and I think the, the locker room is comfortable with either one being there. And I would actually think – and Frank and oh, I were talking this, about this, Dallas just tied it up this week – that. Is, the Golden Knights may play harder for Marc-Andre Fleury. Well, I think that's a bunch of bunk. It, what do you think, Frank? Yeah. I, I think there is something that yeah. the team has known Marc-Andre Fleury for three seasons now. They really like the guy. Not that they don't like Robin Leonard, but for whatever reason, they see, really seem to go out there. Remember, Marc-Andre Fleury's won games, although he's given up more goals in some of those wins than Robin Leonard's given up goals in the losses they've had out there. So mm -hmm. for whatever reason, they do seem to have a little bit of different pep in their step or doing something out there. I don't know exactly what it is. Maybe it's just the way the game flows. Maybe there's different things going on. But when Fleury gives up a goal, even it's one that maybe he shouldn't, it seems like Vegas immediately counterattacks and gets the equalizer or the or the go-ahead goal. Remember in that last game, they were down 3-2 to two after two periods. I didn't think they were going to lose that game. They came back in the third. Now Vancouver was also tired in that game. And that was back-to-backs. I thought that if they were going to start Flurry, it would have been in last night's game rather than tonight's because it is unusual to go with your, in Pete DeBoer's mind, backup goaltender in a game seven. And Pete DeBoer historically has stuck with goaltenders even when it's come back to bite him a little bit. Remember up in San Jose, Martin Jones was not playing well. He stuck with him the entire time. DeBoer kept on playing him. Now, granted, he had Aaron Dell as a backup who's not very good as opposed to Marc-Andre Fleury. But I'm wondering what DeBoer does right now because historically from his coaching career, he has stuck with the goaltender even if uh, the crowd and the fan base and everything else is going ballistic about it. If he starts Fleury, I'm wondering if it's because he finally gives into the media and the fans and the hype or if he says you know what the hell with it I'm the coach and I'm going to go with the guy that I think is my number one and I'm going to go with Robin Leonard I am curious to see what he does tonight I think in his mind he still wants to play Robin Leonard but as good yeah. as this guy started out in the playoffs he's three and four in his last seven games right. he's one and three in his last four games I mean he's and again it's not because he hasn't been playing well Demko's been out of his mind but sometimes you need a change just to make a change and I'm wondering if there might be another little tweak or something in there as well. Remember that last game that they won? They put in yep. John Merrill for Nick Cousins. Maybe you tweak a little thing here and there. And to Vancouver's credit, you got to give Green some credit. 
he made a focus of stopping a third line player in Alex Tuck because Alex Tuck was going absolutely crazy. And he's kind of slowed him down. They put Myers on him. They put some other guys on him there. You don't normally focus on a third-line guy to stop you. That's where the top six have to come up and score, and they haven't done it the yeah. last two games. Now, now, Myers, that's an interesting point. Myers has a lot of length. He played with Winnipeg. He played with Buffalo. Uh, he's a super player, but he was out. And so he's come back, and he's, I think, 6'8". And so uh, his reach makes it very hard for even a guy like Alex Tuck, who swoops in a, a lot of the times and moving his puck around when that stick is out there knocking things around. So they've made, they've made some nice adjustments. And, uh, again, they, they block everything in, in sight. I mean, they're really not afraid of, of that puck. Uh, this kid from Michigan, Mott, has played quite well. Mm -hmm. uh, and he uh, seems to be all over and, 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 and irritating in there. Um, I think it was um, uh, Merrill for uh, Holden. Oh, yeah, Holden. Night. I'm sorry. Merrill yeah, for I, Holden I the other night. night. Yeah, it was and, Holden. And, uh, you know, I, I thought Merrill played okay. And I think uh, I think Holden's played very well in the series. Uh, I'm not sure what he's going to do. I, I just think that if you follow the trend of what he said he was going to do, He's done it, and I think that's why you would see Flower tonight. I think that it's Game 7, it's elimination. The Vegas Golden Knights, everybody knows we're now 0-2 in elimination games, right? In our long history. Uh, but we, we've, we've never won an elimination game. So let's gear up, let's win this game, and move on. You know, yeah. there, there have been 11 postseason games there, and as much as we'd like to see or you know think that there is a 1-1-A situation, it's clearly not the case when Leonard started 9 of the 11 games. He well, is their he is their number one, and I think and I agree. With, I think Flurry should be in net tonight just for that 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 factor that I think they're going to rally. And and Leonard gave up three goals. I know it was four nothing, like you said. He gave up three goals last night. You're losing two in a row. Record isn't really gr great here in the postseason. I, I, you got, I think you have to go with Flurry, but I think Peter DeBoer is reluctant to do that because clearly, if he's starting a guy nine out of eleven games, he's clearly his number one. You're not going to go away from your number one in a game seven, do or die. This is your season. I, you know. You, you could say all you want about that. He's he's followed what he said that he's going to use both goalies. Leonard has not been overly busy in these last two games. That's true. I mean, so, but he is a big man. And so to play him back-to-back -back might not be the right thing to do. I actually thought... As, who, as would Frank, into, who would you as put in? Frank, I thought we'd see Flurry last night, right. and if we lost, we'd see Leonard again now because you'd have him rested huh. and, and ready for Game 7. That's what I thought, but I'm not the coach. Who would I play tonight? I would play Flurry because right. that's the way you've been doing things. You've got your big man who, who might be a little tired, might need a little break. Yeah. They've already announced, hey, let's go get it, and, uh, and, and the next game starts Sunday. Who right? gives, so if you win, right. you're, playing, right. you're playing in two days anyway. In this situation, who gives you the best shot in goal tonight? I, I, w I would play Flurry tonight for the simple reason because I think they do need a change just emotionally and as a lift on the team to shake things up a little bit. And Marc-Andre Flurry has faced Game 7s before and been successful in them. But again, Pete DeBoer historically has stuck with the goaltender. And in a way, everybody has an ego, and Pete DeBoer certainly has an ego as well. And... If he starts Marc-Andre Fleury, is that in the back of his mind? He's going, well, I'm kind of admitting that I was wrong then. And if Marc-Andre Fleury gets a win tonight, what is he doing the next series coming up here? Because now all of a sudden you've just made the controversy even more. And again, I don't think Pete DeBoer, and maybe being in the bubble is a good thing because he's not down here and seeing the media and dealing with people. He does a Zoom call and then they turn it off and then he's done for the day with that sort of stuff. But... The people out here are going to go, Leonard's 1-3 in his last four games. Marc-Andre Fleury hasn't lost a game. He hasn't lost to Vancouver, I think, in regulations since 2006 or whatever. He's 12-2-2 yeah. two two in his career against them. He owns this team. With that record, with everything else, I don't see how you don't go with him. I'm just not sure what DeBoer is going to do. And if they do play Fleury and they win tonight, I'm really curious to see how they handle the next series, whether it's Dallas or Colorado, because, um, you know, that, then you do open it up again. It's obvious. We say 1-1-A, one one the media, the fan base, everybody else out there. I don't think it's 1-1-A one in one Pete DeBoer's mind. I think it's Robin Leonard and Marc-Andre Fleury is his backup. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what was the biggest surprise to me yesterday was the, the start of the game. I think uh, uh, Vancouver came out and had maybe the first six shots and with a lot of quality opportunities, uh, and Vegas sleptwalked through the beginning yeah. of the game, uh, allowing them to really dictate pace mm -hmm. and, and beat us to lose pucks. 
that was surprising to me because I, I thought we'd be ready to come out uh, with a lot of urgency, and we weren't. And, of course, we fell behind, and at that point, you're chasing the game. Um, and, and we never were able to beat Demko. So there's a little bit of frustration. I think that when that puck drops, they better be ready to attack and attack and play a 60-minute game. Uh, I'm not going to say they're going to play as good as they did in game one, but if you play that game and you play with that, that urgency that, like you did when, you, when the series started, uh, it should take care of itself, and it really does not matter who's in the net yeah. when it comes to these two exceptional goalies. You know, say, say what you want, but the Golden Knights are number one seed, and this is a surprise. This is a big-time surprise. A lot of people thought that this series would not get this far, especially when you're up three games to one. But does this give you guys a little uh, deja vu a little bit, what we saw last year against San Jose? And we knew that that series was going to be tightly contested, but we all expected Vegas to, to take care of business in one of those final three games, and they didn't. Now they're in this exact same situation once again. Well, I don't think that it's, it's deja vu. I mean, it's just the fact that it's 3-1 and 3-3. Three, three. Uh, last year they kind of gave away game five, completely dominated game six, and I think gave up a sh shorthanded overtime goal uh, that was shocking and left the, the arena kind of, you know, uh, numb, numb, numb. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, you know, Game Seven was that ridiculous uh, major call, and it happened, and it's over. And uh, they still fought back and forced overtime in that game. So, look, you got to win four games. You got to win four games, or lose four games and go home. So, uh, to me, uh, we'll see what we're made out of. Well, you know, it's interesting too because we talked about the last two games, TC. I think the first goal in this game is going to be huge, and I know it's a long 60-minute hockey game, but in hockey for whatever, and Brian brought it up earlier, when you're chasing a game, even if it's only one goal or whatever, that mental set, you're climbing that mountain, you put so much into it sometimes, and then often, even if you do tie it up, then the other team gets a goal again right away. Vancouver obviously really feeds on getting that first goal. They're young. They're looking for confidence. Maybe they didn't expect to be in this situation. They've been playing with house money the last couple games, while Vegas seems like they've gotten a little bit tired and missing some of those open nets and shooting the puck high and wide. Vancouver's been going out there going, well, you know what? We're probably going to get eliminated anyhow, so let's just play our butts off. And they've got confidence. And they're young players like Pedersen. We've seen Brock Besser really come to the forefront. Certainly Quinn Hughes has played better. Bo Horvat's been out of his mind. Bo Horvat, uh, you know, ha has played well. They, they are playing really, really well. And they gave them the one thing that you don't ever want to do to a team if it's an inferior team. And I think when you go top to bottom, depth of the roster, Vancouver is still inferior to Vegas, but they've given them confidence, yeah. and we know what the mental stability can mean. And guess what? They're in the bubble. There is no home ice. Right. Carnell Johnson, Golden Pipes, is going to sing the national anthem, and after that, it doesn't matter That's anymore. True. You know, no power play goals in games five or six. Last night, VGK was 0 for 5, Vancouver 0 for 4. A little surprising that neither team is converting on the power play? Uh, both kills were great. Uh, uh, Vegas had a tremendous possession. Obviously couldn't beat Demko. Uh, they killed off Vancouver's with, with ease in, in there. I don't think there was even one difficult save that I, that I can recall in any of their power plays. Uh, uh, DeBoer does have a much, much, much more aggressive penalty kill uh, than, than Gallant. So, uh, you know, you get to the point where you get a, a, a Mark Stone streaking alone or a Riley Smith with a short-handed opportunity. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we want to be in the box four times tonight with the, the, the talent they have out there. I think that we want to push the, the, the pace, and I think we want to be physical and, and really take that confidence and wear them down with hits and hits and hits and four checks. And then by the time the, the middle of the second period, their legs are shot and the, the Vegas goes away. Yeah, and I'll tell you what, I, I'm not totally surprised because it is the playoffs and the goaltenders are playing well, and it seems like guys are, are holding their stick a little bit. But um, like Brian said, Vegas has had some shorthanded opportunities. And whenever Riley Smith is on the ice, especially if it's with William Carlson, they prevent or they provide a lot of opportunities there. If either team can get a shorthanded goal tonight, that could be a huge type of a lift up there. Shorthanded goals can really suck the wind out of somebody else. The other thing is, and I hope we don't see it, but you could see it. If there's a five on three, if a team scores on a five on three, that's a big thing that they got a goal. But if you stop a five on three or something like that, that can really give the other team that killed the penalty momentum. So look for little nuances like that. Look for something in the game that could flip the switch. But I'll tell you what, if somebody could get a shorty tonight, and Riley Smith has been close and, and you Almost know, had one of those last night. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Riley Smith seems like he always has an opportunity for it. If it's not a goal, it's an assist on it. You don't want to get in the box, but sometimes if you can convert on something like that, that can be a 
total momentum changer. Yeah, I, I like Riley Smith's game. He, he, he looked a little frustrated, looked up a few times after, uh, you know, had golden opportunities and didn't score. Marcheseau is the one that uh, really needed to put that, that, that sucker in the basket. Oh. I mean, he's had some great opportunities. He was down there. He couldn't find the puck yesterday right. in the one scramble that we had in front. Uh, Marchi took a really bad penalty, yeah. and we better not do that again, where he clubbed yeah. uh, Pedersen in the back of the legs, and he starts complaining about it. The last two games he's taken yeah. bad penalty. Yeah, he, he's got know. it. He, he, he's, he's hot. He hot blood on that, but he's got to get it. Well, and that control. second line's been MIA as well too. They really have, you know, not really well, I mean, much. When you got one goal in two games, it's yeah. it's it's and, and you got a hot goalie, it's it's yeah. difficult. The thing is, they just got a grip. They're the more seasoned team. They are the better team. Yep. That doesn't always win a series, but they better go out and do it tonight. And right. Vancouver got tired in that last time when they had the back-to-backs. Look yeah. for that because Vancouver t t tends to play with a little bit shorter bench. In back-to-back -back games, that could come to haunt them towards the end of this one tonight. All right. We got game seven tonight, 6 o'clock, the Golden Knights and the Canucks. It's winner go home for the Golden Knights. And speaking of game seven, we got one happening right now. Colorado leading Dallas 3-2 to two at the 10-minute mark in the second period. So uh, big game sevens uh, today in the bubble. All right, Frank Harnish joining us, VGK Frank, Brian Benowitz. We are live at the Cosmopolitan. We're returning to our Friday home here each and every Friday at the Cosmopolitan. No better place to be. It is the T.C. Martin Show on a Friday. And when we come back, the Kentucky Derby. Yes, this is September, but tomorrow is Derby Day. Back to more nonstop sports talk with the Dr. T.C. Martin. Live from the Cosmopolitan Indy Sportsbook, T.C. Martin Show, Brian Benowitz in the house. VGK Frank, we get ready for tonight's Game 7, Golden Knights taking on the Vancouver Canucks. It is football season, as we know, and uh, if you are here with us each and every Friday, you'll get ready for our Best Bet segment, which will uh, start next week. We're picking our best bets. College football a little slow on the horizon, but Do, next week, we've we, we got NFL action. Are we doing just NFL we next gotta look week? At, we got to look at the schedule next week because I believe there's like seven or eight or ten games or something like that. Yeah, Oklahoma but, will be favored by 80 and, you know, those type of things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? You know, but uh, I think Central Arkansas, you know, that powerhouse that you're familiar with, they've already played two games. You know, they, they played again last night. But, hey, we have a great contest as well, too. Our partner, Opportunity Village, the Picks for OB Charity Football Contest. It is back this year and is open to the entire public. You pick five NFL games against the point spread and win great prizes while supporting a great cause. Our good friends at Opportunity Village, Las Vegas' favorite charity, serving adults with intellectual disabilities. And we will be giving away 10 free entries starting on Tuesday, all next week. And uh, for everyone else, it's, it's $50 for one sign-up, $95 for two. Uh, entries must be in by September the 11th. And uh, you'll get a link, and you get to pick your five best NFL games against the point spread. And you're competing against everybody. Uh, it doesn't matter, and uh, you get a chance to win some valuable prizes, some great food, beverage, staycation options, and uh, our good friends at Opportunity Village. So you can test your handicapping skills, and uh, we will all be involved uh, with that. Uh, Brian, Frank, uh, myself, uh, love being involved with our good friends at Opportunity Village. Oh, yeah, Opportunity Village is... Uh like nothing you, you'll see in any city in this in America. It's a fantastic place, and uh, welcome anybody to go there. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think they're having some of their events this year uh, because of the uh, the pandemic. The Halloween uh, but, and Magical but Forest. But this football yes. contest is fantastic, yeah. and it's a way to give to your, your local community and the wonderful things that they're doing over there at Opportunity Village. All right, another great place to be, but no one will be there, is Churchill Downs tomorrow. Yes, it is, what, the 146th running of the Kentucky Derby. This is the first Saturday in September, not the first Saturday in May. Uh, this is still very, very strange. And Brian, when we look at the horse racing industry and what has happened within the last well, year or plus, I mean, after maximum security crossed the finish line last May, horse racing has been kind of a, a, a long, a long year of drama. You know, when you really look about it, we've had a historic disqualification. We've had doping. We've had lawsuits. We've had Horses dying, and uh, now a triple crown that's been turned upside down. Uh, the second leg of horse racing's triple crown is actually tomorrow. It is the Kentucky Derby. We already had the Belmont last month, and the Preakness will be October the 3rd. And uh, you are closer than anyone we know to the horse racing business as you are involved, uh, you know, as, as a horse owner, and uh, you love the sport. Has it just been the craziest 
year that you have seen in this industry? Uh, I, I love the sport. I, I have been involved my entire life. Uh, we've had uh, horses for quite some time. Uh, as you know, my dad, uh, who, who ran the stable, passed away this uh, summer. Uh, but he, uh, we're, we're continuing on with the stable. And uh, uh, it, it's a little disappointing when you go to the racetrack now. Um, Delmar has finally allowed owners to go, but you, you know you're, you can't sit in your own box, and they got things set up, and you can't get to the barn and visit your horses and whatnot. And that's all part of the the, the, the pandemic, and you get it. Uh, one of the things I'd say is uh, last year at this time, I, my my favorite Derby horse that I've had in a long time, Maximum Security, who I loaded up on, and I had all all up and down every which way, gets disqualified, and I'm still disappointed about that. He's changed barns because of uh, you know problems that he had with his trainer and. Uh, it ran a real nice effort in the uh, Pacific Classic the other day to, to take that one, and uh, you will see him on uh, on Breeders' Cup Day. Uh, I think there's been a resurgence. COVID-19 has forced people to watch the, the races. Oakland had a fantastic meet. Gulfstream stayed open during the whole time. Their handles were all up. Uh, because it was the only thing in town. Uh, TVG did a wonderful job marketing it and whatnot. There's been very few catastrophes that we've seen uh, that we had last year, uh, especially at Santa Anita. Right. We, of course, lost one of our horses and one lost one of ours uh, to a career-ending injury as well. So um, I, I think that it's it's weird, and I think Kentucky, the, the Churchill Downs, probably wholeheartedly regrets moving the Derby because they could have run it with no fans then. Right. Uh, but who knew what who knew what ha- would happen in four, five, six months that we'd still be in this situation. So the fact is the Derby's happening. We've got 15 horses going to post, and uh, you got what might be a, a, a fantastic story in Tis the Law, uh, breaking from the 17 post. Nobody's ever won from that 17 post. He is odds on three to five. He's done everything that they've asked of. Uh, the same owners... Uh, uh, Shacktown table stable or something like that that had um, uh, who was the horse a few years ago from from New York bred that uh, almost won the uh, triple crown. I can't remember his name. That's now. okay. Uh, it's not coming to me. But the same owners that have it and they're 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 kind of a, uh, a hard working, hard knocking group of guys and uh, they they found this horse. He, they only buy New York breds. And this horse looks like a monster. So uh, it'll be fun to see if he can handle the classic distance that he's already run in, which they wouldn't have done that before, but he did it in the Travers. So it's kind of weird. It just does seem strange that we're running a Kentucky Derby in September, more importantly, with no fans. As we know, and when that first Saturday in May rolls around, it, it, it's more than just the horses and the anticipation, but the crowds that, that go. And, again, it's, it's, it's the spot. It's the meeting spot. And uh, you Smart, know, Smarty Jones was that Smarty horse. Jones. I knew it would come okay, to me. There you go. <laughs> um, but talk a little bit about the dent that this is putting, you know, uh, economically with the Derby and the Triple Crown, for well, that matter. It, you know, it, I think the handle will the be handle. fine as far as the betting. It's a little weird here this year in Nevada. When you're looking to wager on this, there's no superfectas. Uh, you can't bet as much because it's now uh, there's some issue between uh, the, the the sports books in Nevada and uh, Churchill Downs, and so it's going to be non-parimutuel wagering. Typically, when you're betting the Derby, there's so many things in long shots, and we you, you can find somebody in there, and you you string around the the the, the exactas and the trifectas and the superfectas. Now there's limits on it. Uh, the exacta. Uh, maximum payoffs 150 to one. Guess what? It's always more than 150 <laughs> to one at the at the track. Right. So that's going to cause you a little bit uh, hesitant to how you're going to wager on this. And I might even just wanted to say, hey, if you're in Nevada, you may just you know put put something on Tis the Law to see how he goes. But uh, uh, if you're going to beat him, there's not much to beat him, and uh, we'll see how see how it runs. Well, you know, it's interesting too because you mentioned Tis the Law, and he looked absolutely sensational in the Belmont. But there's other things to look at here, too. You mentioned he's coming out of the 17 post. Arguably, maybe his top uh, competitor on our AP is right next to him at the 16. So they're both out there in that auxiliary gate. And then you look at the other things. Um, one of the things that I think makes the Derby so special and always has is the fact that you have to win all three of those races in such a short period of time. Yes. That's stretched out a lot more this year. So so if Tizalaw wins the Triple Crown, will there be an asterisk? And the other thing, and I know you certainly know this very well, Brian, a lot of people out there don't realize that at this time of a year, a three-year-old is a lot more seasoned than he was during those the regular Kentucky Derby, Preakness, and Belmont time because they are still young horses, but they've matured a lot more. In fact, right now they're almost rounding into the form getting ready for the Breeders' Cup down the road instead of looking for the Kentucky Derby and then the Belmont still to follow that. So it's unique in so many different ways, but these three-year-olds are probably much different now than they would have been at the original Triple Crown dates. That is 100% correct. Uh, to get a horse ready to run in the, the five weeks to run in three 
three races and run all three Triple Crown races is a very, very difficult thing to do. And it's what a, a trainer like Bob Baffert, that's what they focus on, or, or, uh, or Todd Pletcher. They, they, they get them ready through these prep races and whatnot. Now the prep races are all happening, and then it kind of stops. And now he's, you got the Belmont, which was a one-turn mile and an eighth. It was really weird to watch. He won it for fun, but, but then he rolled up and ran the Travers, and the Travers had, had, a little, had a little more competition. They had an Uncle Chuck, who was supposedly this monster horse out of California. He just walloped him. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's strange because, yeah, these now are, is the time of year that three-year-olds are going to start facing older horses. And you're going to kind of see, are they, are they as good as these, uh, the, the last crop of uh, three-year-olds that were out there? Now they're all facing each other again, so it's it's a very very odd. Uh, the trip if, if he happens to win the triple crown, he does win all three races, but it'll always be as this crazy weird year that they yeah. did it. The, the fact that you throw the Travers in there is almost even maybe even more impressive. Like it's the quadruple yeah. crown or yeah. something. Because <laughs> yeah, the Travers is a very difficult race right. for for these horses that come off of the triple yeah. crown to try to get ready for yeah. and, and run again. Um, you, you mentioned uh, Ape, Honor AP. He he did lose his last race, but he. Uh, Got in a little trouble, got banged up in that race. Um, the shared belief. Uh, he he figures to be that you know probably the second pick in the race. I would look outside the very outside horse, authentic, um, who uh, lost on our AP but was in a lot of trouble. Start started slowly in that race in the Santa Anita Derby. He ran a real nice race, uh, nipping New York traffic in the uh, in the Haskell. So you know I, I think the outside horses. 15, 16, 17, 18 look to be the ones that are the most playable. You know, big derby fields are something that we're used to, and we're used to seeing 18 to 20 horses. So with only 15, it kind of seems like maybe it's not that crowded of a field, but as we know, I mean, 15 is still very, very crowded, and in crowded fields, that can lead to some troubled trips as well, well too. Well, generally in the derby, and that's a great point, TC, generally in the derby, you, you want to be more of a stalker. You don't want right. to kind of be on the lead, but it's very difficult to navigate through all that traffic when there's 20 horses out there. And then you round the turning for home, and you got a roar of 100-and-something thousand lunatics that have been drinking mint juleps all day, <laughs> and the horses tend to not know. I mean, they're yeah. young, three-year-olds that are just, you know, coming into their own, and, then, and that's what happened with... Uh, Maximum security last year. He kind of veered out after that, after hearing the crowd, and uh, still should have cashed a ticket. But uh, it is, uh, it's not, none of that's going to happen Sorry this year. Sorry to bring that up again. None of that's going to happen this year because they're not going to have the crowd. Right. And they're going to kind of turn for home, and the, hopefully there's not as much with, with five less horses than you would typically see, not as much traffic, and it runs a, a clean race. And, and that's one of the things, too, when you look at that auxiliary gate. Some people would look at the 17 slot and say, like you mentioned, well, that's never been won from that slot. But not being in the middle, maybe you don't take all that bumping and something else if there's a little bit late start or, or getting caught in the traffic. So because it is a derby and it is a long enough race, that what might be a negative in some races maybe isn't as much here, especially when arguably your top competition is right out there with you yeah and the, the scratch the scratch horses they might move them over I don't, I don't really know how that works at churchill so they may not even need it if they get another scratch in there i think there's 14 and then six in the auxiliary i'm not i'm maybe it's 15 and five i'm not sure how that works there so tis the law is the favorite he's the three to five morning line choice that's one of your horses the, one that, of my horses you like you like those three to five yeah uh, you know i do just load it up however <laughs> i don't know if i can i can load it up in a derby like this. You know, I did like him in the Belmont. Of course, I didn't play it. I was kicking myself. But anyway, the one point, though, his only loss has come on this track. So yes. should we factor that in? Well, it was in the slop, and he was a two-year-old, so no. Okay. Uh, he was in a little bit of, it said, uh, you know, the comments says pocketed, and he was asked. He did run within a, a length of the winner in that race. I think that what happened back in November really is not overly relevant, personally. All right. Will we have a Triple Crown winner this year? Uh, yes. Tis the Law is going to win this race. It looks to me for fun. I think he can uh, sit right off the lead. It sets up beautifully for him. There's enough speed inside of him. He can just kind of get over it. And uh, he put that field away in the Travers, and it was impressive. Um, and, and a lot of these horses have faced him before. Uh, I don't see the Preakness being anything difficult, and he has five weeks between the, the right. Derby and the Preakness, or four weeks, whatever. That's a long time. Right. So, yeah, I, I think Tis the Law is, is a monster. He's a monster. His only losses, his only blemish on his record was in the slop. Uh, maybe that's good because it's been, you know, messy. The, 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 the weather's been bad there, and it's going to be good this weekend. So maybe that's the one good thing we could take out okay. of this. And you mentioned the five weeks between the final, be 
between the two last legs of the, the Triple Crown this year. Normally, when what makes a Triple Crown so difficult is that third jewel, which is usually the Belmont. One of the things that makes it difficult is some of the horses take off the Preakness and they're fresh going into that last one. Well, tis the law, even though he's still got to run all the races and he ran the Travers as well, should still be fresh because there's plenty of downtime between the races. Yes. That's definitely unique this year in the Triple Crown racing. Yeah. It's tough to sit here and tout a three to five shot. I, I generally don't like that. Right. I like to try to pick pick somebody to beat him. I actually thought that I might have had somebody that was a sneaky 20 to one shot and he got scratched. Mm. Uh, got, a, got a fever, King Guillermo, and so he's not going to run. So I'm trying to figure out who else is at a decent price that might be there. Um, New York traffic is an improving horse. Uh, only ran within a nose of Authentic. Authentic's 8-1. to one. He's 15-1. to one. Paco Lopez is back aboard. That might be somebody that can improve into this race. Uh, so if you're looking at a price, that one. I also circled Max Player, the two. Uh, has been no match at all for Tis the Law. But he, you know what, he's, he's the first time with his trainer, uh, uh, Steve Asmussen. He does generally pretty well with those. He's run against the best caliber horses, you know, maybe. But you're really trying to beat right. a three to five shot. And uh, this year, because the exotics are limited, a uh, uh, trifecta at 500 to one, an exact at 150 to one. It, it's it's sneaky and it's tricky to say, oh, I want I want to bet all these things because I would I'd load up on the exactus trifectas and superfectas, right. and now we can't even buy the superfecta. Right. Can we put if we put together a, uh, a a try or try to box a try here? Who who are we looking at? Well, I think to me the 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 four outside horses uh, are the ones to really look at. I mean, tis the law. Maybe you key him on top. Yep. Uh, people love AP, Honor AP. He did lose his last race. People are talking up uh, the fact that maybe Thousand Words is coming into himself where he wasn't going to be anywhere near this uh, in his prep races prior to that. I think he lost by 10 lengths in a couple, and then maybe even got uh, pulled up. Let me look at that real quick. Uh, so people are looking at him. He, he stunned uh, Honor AP in that race. I think Authentic and New York Traffic are coming out of a pretty good Haskell, uh, so I would look, I would look at them. And then, uh, like I said, I might toss in the two, but really, it's it's very difficult. And because of COVID, we're we're missing some top jockeys in this race as well, too. Yeah, right? Churchill said you had to be there from the outset in order to stay there. And a lot of the other jockeys, I mean, they and got other races around. That's a huge factor too. Yeah, I mean, uh, tis the law kept Franco, and uh, um, you got a, a, a Mike Smith opted to stay on Honor AP, so Authentic has a new jockey over there. So. You know, we'll see. I, I think Paco Lopez, if you want to look for somebody with a nice long shot, look at New York traffic. All right. All right. We are live from the Cosmopolitan on a Friday, and it's going to be a great weekend. Again, Vegas Golden Knights in a game seven tonight at 6 o'clock. And, of course, the Derby tomorrow post time at 4 o'clock, give or take a minute or two, or 5 tomorrow uh, right here. So uh, come on out to the book. Have yourself a good time. And, again, just a, a great action sports weekend, and it's nice to have a big weekend. We've got baseball. We've got the NBA playoffs. Of course, Stanley Cup playoffs as well here. It, right. looks, it looks like the Oaks is getting ready to start. That I, is true. I, I really like Swiss Swiss Skydiver, the one horse, to uh, upset uh, Gamine. I don't think Gamine's going to make the distance at a mile and a, and a quarter, but heavy, heavy favorite. One of your horses at like three well, to five. I'm, so. I'm, well, I'm getting ready to go uh, yeah, uh, uh, right, during the break right now. The, ra I'm, the I'm race is off, off, so we'll see how it goes. No. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. We come back. We'll uh, we'll touch a little bit more about uh, tonight's Golden Knights game seven. And also, we got some uh, college football news to talk about as well. NBA playoffs here on a Friday at the Cosmopolitan. What's up, y'all? This is Sinbad. You checking my boy, T.C. Mark, talking about what's happening. Check this out. We got a three-day weekend, lots of sports, U.S. Open, tennis style. We've got action in the bubble. We've got action in the wobble, the WNBA, the NBA. Crazy playoff action going on in the NBA. Major League Baseball. And, of course, we've got the Stanley Cup playoffs. And we've got the Golden Knights in Game 7 tonight against the Vancouver Canucks. We've got a Game 7 as we speak right now between the Avalanche and the Stars. And Avalanche up uh, with 20 minutes to play, 3-2. to two. Your, your heavy 3-5 to five shot just got beat. Yeah. Couldn't make the distance, but my horse ran second. It's a good thing I got <laughs> shut out, too. He ran, to the he window. Ran, as I said, I didn't think she could make the distance, <laughs> and she didn't. She faded in the stretch, but uh, uh, Swiss Skydiver couldn't, beat, couldn't catch... Uh, she dares the devil who won at 15 to 1. Nice payoff for the Oaks. There you go. All right. By, by the way, there's also a game seven after tomorrow's derby for people that want to come down here to the sports books here yeah. at the Cosmopolitan. Oof. That's true. That's right. That's right. You got uh, 
Philly. Philly? Yeah, Islanders oh, and Philly. Islanders and Philly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, ball, ballpark Frank over here said they just want to get to overtime. That's, that's, you can't, that's you can't call him Ballpark Frank until, you know, hockey season's over. He's still VGK Frank. You okay, can, I, listen. You I, you can know, call I, me that. I mean, I've been Ballpark <laughs> Frank for over 20 years in yeah, this town. VGK you know, Frank said that they got to get to overtime because it's the only way Flyers win. They've won all three games in overtime. The things he can't call me, Quake has to have the delay ready for. Yeah. This is true. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, we're glad to have VGK slash Ballpark Frank and uh, everyone from all across the country here at the Cosmopolitan on a Friday afternoon. All right, college football, guys. Are, are we going to have some college football? Because now all of a sudden the Pac-12 is talking about, well, maybe we're going to rethink this. After they mailed it in last month, said forget about it, we're going to go to the spring, and they got a lot of pushback from from uh, players saying that they, they wanted to transfer. Uh, again, getting ready for the draft instead. Then the Big Ten kind of relented a little bit after we had the 270,000 signatures, uh, and they just bombarded the Big Ten headquarters outside of Chicago. And, and lawsuits uh, thrown in and there as well. And lawsuits thrown in as well, too. <laughs> but uh, credit to the the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12. Uh, they said, hey, we're going on. We're going to play. And uh, now it seems like the Big Ten and Pac-12 are talking about maybe trying to get things going. But then again, Brian, I know what you said earlier is like, hey, we just we didn't think we'd be here at this position. But as we've talked about before, the powers to be in the NCAA have just, you know, they've waited and they've waited and they've waited. Uh, I hope we have some college football at, at some resemblance here in a couple weeks. Yeah, I, I have no idea what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, I think there's going to be some pre-ACC games next week. I mean, they're playing a bunch of the, the minor league type teams, and uh, uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what they're going to do. I think that there's tremendous pressure. Uh, you would think that the entire governing body would make a decision, and they wouldn't leave it up to the conferences. It just seems uh, ridiculous the way it's going about right now. Um, you know, it's it's you, you read about guys that have opted out, the, the kid from Memphis that opted out that had three of his family members passed during, uh, for COVID. So uh, you worry about that, that. Is this all for money? Uh, are they taking advantage or more advantage of these kids uh, just to get things done? And uh, it's a very difficult situation, and I'm glad I'm not the one making the call. Well, and it also is kind of like the NCAA is showing how worthless they are and how useless they are because these conferences are making all the decisions and doing things out there. Yeah. But TC, am, am I reading you right? Are you telling me that Austin P and Central Arkansas just didn't quench your college fo football thirst? Uh, not quite. Pretty interesting <laughs> game, though. You know, last week that was a pretty interesting game. And then again last night we had uh, UAB defeat South Alabama 45-32. to But there are, what, uh, seven games uh, this weekend. And I'll say the game on Labor Day, actually not too bad. It's BYU and Navy. And a couple teams that, you know, like we're used to seeing them in, in, in bowl action. I'm going to be interested in BYU-Navy. The others, not so much. Yeah, we, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I, you know, I hope everybody stays safe, and I hope they're able to put in the protocols that they need. Are there fans at those games? Are there not fans at the games? Well, last week Who they knows had, had 2,000 fans at that Austin P uh, Central Arkansas game last week. And then uh, we, we had heard that there was going to be maybe upwards, like Clemson was talking about allowing 17,000 fans to come to their games. Yeah, well, and again, why are they making the decisions versus some sort of governing body? It seems very strange, well. <laughs> especially when you read all about the University of Alabama has a thousand cases in their student body within a month and or within a week. I'm sorry. Yes. Within a week, and then Iowa has 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 had struggled with it, and it's it's really difficult when you try to get 18 to 22 year old kids to. Uh, uh, stay socially distanced and, uh, and wear their masks and do the things that they're supposed to do. And it's even more difficult for athletes. So uh, I don't know. I, I hope it works out. You know, for the most part, the athletes have, have been all right. It's just when the students came back and we talked about you know, what, what happened in Tuscaloosa, they went from 1% up to 4% to 5%. And then they tested the entire student body last week uh, in the basketball arena. And 29% of students at Alabama tested positive for covid and again, uh, didn't really affect the football team. But when the athletic director has to, you know, go out there and, and make these speeches or go online on Twitter and say, "Hey, guys, obviously you don't want fall sports. Put your mask on. Be smart. Be careful." But and, and he tweeted out a picture of about 100 people outside a bar, and half of them didn't have masks on. Listen, the, the protocols that the universities have put in place are solid. They're 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 fine. It's the fact that these kids are are, are not following anything when they when they leave the campus, and then they carry it on there and they put people at risk. So it's 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 a very difficult situation. Uh, I mentioned before, my daughter's at the University of Michigan, say, yeah. and uh, you know they're they're we get stuff emailed to us every day about what they said. You know, if you're caught in a group of more than 25 people, they're going to expel you. 
And that's and why I was those are things that, that, that they got to be stern. And, uh, you know, you, you worry about your kids away that way, and but, uh, you know, hopefully they stay safe. That's why I was surprised the way the Big Ten, the action that they took, because remember, they – they came out one of the first and said, okay, we're going to go conference only. They set their schedule, and then a week later they came back and said, you know, we're going to table this thing. And then Jim Harbaugh said, you know, look what we're doing here. They had like 353 consecutive, you know, negative tests. And he goes, we, we've got something going here where we can, you know, none of our guys have it. We've been very, very smart. And uh, then, of course, you know, what Ohio State and, and others are saying, hey, we wanted to play football, but the Big Ten, you know, got a little – you know, conservative, so to speak. And, and now they're starting to relent a little bit, and it would be nice to, to see them join the fray because I don't think spring football is going to work because if you're going to have the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC playing football on Saturday afternoon starting here towards the end of September, and they said, hey, we're going forward, and we're going to have a playoff, what is the incentive to play in the spring if you're the Pac-12 in the Big 10? I don't have any idea how the spring football could possibly work. Well, so. and I really don't see how it can work if you have spring football and then in 2021, hopefully then you're going to have fall football right. again. Right. You can't do that tournament. If right. you're a senior, maybe you can. But I, but the other players, you, you can't go from football to a couple months and then right, right back into football right. again. You know, it just seems like, you know, the NHL said they were going to push the pause button. We're going to figure this out. And I think that uh, as difficult as it is and as strange as it is, the NHL has done a magnificent job keeping these people safe in these two bubbles. Uh, there's been, a, I don't know, 20,000 tests or or more that, that, that have all been negative, and they've done a really nice job. They were able to get 24 teams uh, and, and their fan bases excited again. Yes, it's a little strange, and yes, it's a little different, but they were able to stop and, 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 and produce something that, that also kept people safe. And uh, I don't know how a college campus, and, and they may say they had 300 and something consecutive, but that's before the kids get back. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's when you got them in their little bubble. But they're going to break out of that, and they're going to go to classes, and they're going to do things, and they're going to be intermingled with the other student body. It's it's going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. People might think that you can handle this. This is this thing doesn't just go away. Mm-hmm. It's it's not an easy thing to do to manage a business or to manage a school or to manage people during this pandemic. All right, Golden Knights tonight, game number seven. 220 favorite tonight. It's a little bit lower than what we've seen. And uh, the buyback on the Canucks is uh, plus 190. If you want to lay a goal and a half, it's minus 110 for the Golden Knights. I got trapped in that in games five and six. Uh, I will not be a player tonight. No, thank you. So what's going to happen, guys? Real quick, prediction for tonight's game seven. I think the team that scores first will win the game. Like I said, give us a winner. The team that scores first. <laughs> I think the Vegas Knights score first, and they score often, and they apply the pressure, and they win going away like six to one. All right. You know, I, 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 I told you before, I really like the makeup of this team, yep. and we're going to see a lot of what they're made up right. tonight because you know what? This is what it comes down to. You better, if you're going to want to say you're the best, and you're going to want to have all these players and be ready to go, you got to perform on Game Seven. I want to yeah. see how Demko looks. Is he tired? Right. You got to think he is. All right. He has been Superman thus far. All right. We appreciate everyone joining us. If you miss any part of the show go to the website tcmartshow.com we are off on monday we'll have the best of got some great interviews uh scheduled for you on monday we'll be back live on tuesday and of course here at the cosmopolitan each and every friday brian benowitz thank you my man gracious host as always back here each and every friday tc martin show and vgk frank uh, as well vgk frank and he'll be vgk frank again next week yeah, yeah. You, you, shoot, you shoot a little kryptonite at Demko. there yeah. you go all right no chuck thank you very much earthquake back in the studio everyone have a fantastic weekend enjoy and we will catch you a best of show on monday at two o'clock and we're back live tuesday